Well, what's up, Propel Church? Pastor Nick here. I am so excited to be with you today for our worship experience. If you are with us for the first time, I want to say welcome on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here. We consider it an honor that you would join us for one of our worship experiences. If you're in an online watch party, be sure to engage. If you're in one of our house parties, which are small gatherings uh, where people are getting together in person to watch church online, you go ahead and high five your neighbor right now. Tell them you're excited to be with them this morning. And if you want to host a house party, party. Maybe you're watching church online already and you'd like to have some friends or family over. Just go to propel.church slash house parties and you can host a house party next weekend. We're so excited that you're here with us today. You know, we're coming up on five years as a church. And when I think about the foundation of our church, one of those foundational elements is prayer. Right now we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. This is day eight. And last week we kicked off a brand new series called Powerful Prayers. In our session last weekend, we talked about what it looked like to pray a prayer of transformation, where we would ask God to search us, to find the things in our lives that that aren't of him, and we would repent of it and allow him to lead us into life everlasting. If you missed that message, be sure to go over to our YouTube channel. You can find that there. It's going to be an incredible message for you to kick off in this prayer series. But today, we're going to enter into week two, and I want to talk to you about a prayer of total surrender. One of the things that I love about prayer is that prayer is not just a one-way conversation. Prayer is actually a two-way conversation. Now, I would submit to you that for most of us, the way we pray is really a one-sided conversation. We bring our request and we talk to God and we tell him what we've got going on. And then we say, amen, and we keep rolling. But prayer was designed to be conversation. And in order for there to be conversation, two parties have to talk. We're going to be studying, kind of breaking down a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 6. And one of the things that I love about it is that he starts out by saying this in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I think we've got to know from the very beginning that prayer is this opportunity to hear from God and and to hear Him speak, to hear Him give us guidance and direction. God wants to speak to you, but are we listening? A lot of times we get so caught up in what we have to say or what we want to do that, that we don't take a second to pause and just listen to God speak. And I think God's still in the same position as he is in Isaiah where he sees the brokenness of the world and he wants it to be mended. And he's looking around going, who am I going to send? Who's going to go and carry the gospel for my namesake? And many of us want to be used by God deeply and in a powerful way, but are unwilling to say yes to where he wants us to go. I know for me, sometimes my personal preferences or my current comfort gets in the way of me actually doing what God wants me to do with my life. And so today, I want to go back. We started in verse 8, but I want to take you all the way back to verse 1 to help you and I figure out what we need to do to totally surrender to the plan and the will of God for our lives. And as we do that, 
we're going to experience blessing and peace that we've never had before. So if you're asking yourself today, um, what do you need to do to fully surrender to God? Well, the answer is this. Number one is recognize the presence of God. Recognize the presence of God. Surrender is not a place that we start at. It's a place that we get to. It's a moment-by-moment opportunity for you and I to lay things down, but it all begins when we recognize the presence of God. And most of us miss the presence of God because, truthfully, we're not looking for Him. I I know that uh, I told you one of the things... um, that I do at restaurants from time to time. So we'll go sit down at a restaurant. And if, if you aren't familiar with what a restaurant is, I know we've been in COVID. So a restaurant is a place where you go eat and you sit down inside. Crazy. But if when I go sit down at a restaurant, you know, they pass out menus and you'll sit and you'll look at it. And normally I'll open the menu, but for some reason I'm not actually looking at the things that are on there. I'm kind of engaged in other conversation. I'm just kind of biding time, and the waitress comes, and she'll say, hey, are you ready to order? And my first response is, as long as I go last, because the thing was there the entire time, but I just really wasn't looking for it. God is and will forever be around us, working around us, in us, through us, and the people around us, but oftentimes we're not looking So in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In this passage of Scripture, King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah was considered one of the top five kings of, of Judah. He was the most prosperous king except for Jehoshaphat after Solomon, and losing a king is an incredibly difficult thing. But in the middle of this, Isaiah declares, I saw the Lord. I don't know what hardships you're facing. I don't know what you're currently going through. But here's what I do know. If you'd look past your situation and see the Lord, what you would see is that he is still God. He is still on the throne. He is still high and lifted up. He, his train of the train of his robe is still filling the temple. In other words, there's not a space that God doesn't occupy. Your current situation may look bleak. It may look dark. But no matter what, God is still on the throne. God is bigger than COVID. He's bigger than an election. He's bigger than racial tension. And he's even bigger than murder hornets. Man, God is big. He is ever present and ever moving in our lives. And if we would slow down enough to recognize the presence of God, it would give us the posture that we need to not just go into our prayer life ready, but also ready to see the world meet Jesus. You got to recognize the presence of God. As you and I want to surrender everything to him, oftentimes in the middle of crisis, in the middle of hardships, we are so quick to look for a solution. But a man-made solution will never fix a heart problem. We need God. We need to look to God and recognize that he is still 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is high and lifted up, worthy of praise and exaltation, and that even every single day in heaven, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Recognize the presence of God. Oftentimes what gets in our way of recognizing the presence of God is the pace that we run in in life. I'm not going to teach you a lot on pace because I'm going to do a message series uh, all on pace in just a couple of weeks. But you and I need to learn to slow down a little bit. I think COVID in a lot of ways, there, there have been some incredibly negative things. But for a lot of us, COVID has intentionally slowed us down. And what the enemy intended for evil, God can use for good if you'll let him. Allow a slow pace to allow you to recognize the presence of God in your everyday life. So Isaiah says, in the year the king died, I saw the Lord. We need to recognize the Lord. The second thing we need to do is acknowledge our own sinfulness. Acknowledge our own sinfulness. If you're not familiar with last week, one of the things we talked about in Search Me, O God, Reveal Every Part that that isn't honoring to you, we talked about the fact that you've got to acknowledge your own sinfulness. There's a pattern in these prayers. So when you come into your prayer life, when you come to pray and seek after the Lord, you need to recognize God's presence. In the middle of your situation, know that God hasn't left you. He's still at work. We also need to acknowledge the fact that we're not God and that we've got sin in our lives. If you are breathing currently, you are sinning currently, right? Like there is some sort of sin pattern, sin behavior. Until you go be with Jesus, you're not perfect. And there's going to be some sin that you need to address as you begin to grow closer and closer in your walk with Christ. Acknowledge your sinfulness. And you may be thinking, well, why do we consistently acknowledge our sinfulness to a God who's all-knowing? If God is all-knowing, why do we need to talk about the fact that we've got some sin in our lives? And I believe it's the word intimacy. The thing that robs you of intimacy with a person, with an individual, is lack of transparency, lack of willingness to talk about the fact that you don't have it all together. And when you do something in a relationship that hurts another person, you acknowledge it. The truth is, when we sin, it grieves the heart of God. Because God has called us to holiness. He's called us to purity. He's called us to the things that glorify and honor Him. And when we live outside of that, we want to acknowledge it. So that our, there's nothing that stands between us and our relationship with God. And oftentimes, one of the biggest cultural things that we get caught up into is, is being a good person, right? One of the biggest lies that most people embrace is that, well, I'm a, a good person. But have you ever looked at what a good person is according to God's definition? A good person, according to God's standard, is Jesus. Good is not in the vocabulary of God. Perfect is in the vocabulary of God. Because good is never good enough. So when we couldn't be good enough, God chose to send Jesus, who was perfect, spotless, sinless, blameless, 
to die for us so that in him we could receive the same benefits that Jesus had. That's the beauty of the gospel. And to know that God is so good that he would know we're not and choose to pursue us is is so beautiful. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, Isaiah says this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In comparison to God, we are not good enough. In comparison to God, we will never be good enough. And that's why Jesus had to come to die and live so that in him we could have new life. I love that the prophet acknowledges that that he's not good, that he's a man of unclean lips living among people of unclean lips. But even though we're sinful and unclean, we can see the Lord. That's the beauty of the gospel. That in our filth, God came to rescue us. That, that every time we would feel this, let, let, me, let me propose it this way. What if every time you sinned and you came to bring it to God, it didn't force you to feel guilty, it forced you to feel grateful. Because when you come into prayer and you're acknowledging your sin, guilt comes from the enemy, not from God. Guilt is a tactic designed by the enemy to keep you feeling in bondage of what Jesus already died for. But what if you bring those things to God and it brings you to the place where you're grateful for the fact that despite your sin, despite your faults, despite your failures, there's a God in heaven who would pursue you for the purpose of relationship. That there was a God who loved you so much that no matter what sin you did or no matter what mistake you made, he would choose to send his son to die in your place so that in him you didn't have to be defined by your past, you didn't have to be defined by your mistakes. He could turn every mess into a message. What if the gratefulness that you came to God with was from the place of acknowledging the fact that you don't have it all together, that you are a little bit messed up and you're a little bit broken? Come on, if you're a little bit broken in the house, you better say amen right now in the comment section because when we realize our brokenness and acknowledge our sin before God, God chooses to step into the middle of our situation. He chooses to show up to bring grace, peace, and mercy because we're no longer trying to pretend that we're perfect. We're no longer trying to hide something from God. We're living in complete and total freedom to say, God, this is who I currently am, but I don't want to be that way anymore. When we choose to bring and acknowledge our sin before God, God sees a a willingness and a soul that he can use and impact in a great way. But the longer we hide it, the longer we live in darkness, the less intimacy and the less relationship you'll have with God. Because you can't hide in a relationship. The moment I start hiding is the moment that we lose connectivity. It works the same way with God. Don't hide it. Reveal it. Uncover it. He's still an all-knowing God who knows everything you've ever done and wants to change you from the inside out. And the third thing is this. Receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says this. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The beauty of this passage of scripture, I think, rests in verse 6 and 7 because we have God's grace. Yes, we've acknowledged the fact that we're unclean. We have acknowledged the fact that we're sinful. But then there comes the point where we receive the full payment of our sin, where there's an exchange that takes place. Your lying lips, your hatred, your sexual sin, the secret sin, the fact that you stole or cheated, the same way that the coal was placed on his lips and removed guilt, Jesus comes, and through his bloodshed, he takes away our guilt. There's nothing that I can do to take away my own guilt. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, he changes everything. When we know that Jesus is in the middle of our life, when we have accepted and placed our hope and trust in him, there's a shift that takes place. Because we're no longer trying to pay for our sins ourselves. We're simply receiving our sins being removed from us. We're simply receiving God's grace. We're receiving the full payment of our sin, knowing that he's the only one that determines we're no longer guilty. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we would recognize the presence of God, that we would acknowledge our sin, and then that we would receive God's grace. And and you might think to yourself, well, isn't that what salvation is? Yes. Scripture says that God is drawing men to himself, meaning that that there's got to be the presence of God in your life and in mine for us to first receive Jesus. But there also must be an acknowledgement of sin. And then after we've acknowledged our sin, it brings us to the place where we know we need a Savior. And once we know we need a Savior, we can then receive God's grace over our life. But that's not just salvation. My heart breaks. I think one of the things that's killing people in the local church is that we want to go so deep, so fast, that we forget the beauty of the gospel. And the gospel is not just that we need Jesus one time and then we're good, give me the rest. No, the gospel is that we need Jesus every day in our life. Every moment we need Jesus. Every hour we need Jesus. There is never going to be a place until you get to heaven where you don't need the gospel at work in your life every single day. We want to move so far past the gospel to give us some more meat and give us some deeper stuff. We don't get Jesus. We try and find other ways to remove our guilt and then we're going to try and use our gifts and all of this stuff. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get anything. we got to know that we need this. This is why it's a prayer of total surrender, but it's a, I'll be honest, it's a prayer of daily surrender. It's a prayer that you got to pray consistently and frequently because after we are positioned where we recognize God's power, we acknowledge our sin, we receive God's grace, then we get to verse 8 where God says, well, who am I going to send? Who's going to carry the good news of Jesus to the world that even though you're unclean, God is moving in your life? 
Even though you're filthy, God desires a relationship with you. Even though you're jacked up and messed up and have issues, there's a God who would pay that price. And by simply placing your belief in Jesus, you could get access to his grace. Who's going to carry that message? Isaiah says, me. I'm going to do it. Send me. I'm willing to go because God doesn't need a perfect person. God chooses to use you and I because we've experienced the perfect person. Because we've experienced Jesus, now we have the capacity to go and to serve and to give our lives to advance his mission to the rest of the world. I think God is waiting for a church, not just our church, but the church, the body of Christ, to rise up and stop waiting for for convenience, to stop waiting for comfort, to stop loving methodology, but to actually get on mission and to say, you know what, if there's a place that needs the gospel, here I am, Lord, send me. I know that my workplace, there's people that don't know Jesus. Here I am, Lord, send me. I know there's an opportunity to serve my community right now because there's parents that are freaking out about the the inability to send their kids to school. So, Lord, here I am, send me. There's a homelessness problem in our area. Here I am, Lord, send me. There's kids that don't have food and can't go to school, like don't get food for lunches anymore because they're not in school. Here I am, Lord, send me. There's problems that God has revealed to you and shown you, and it's time for you to get off your tail and start doing something. (laughs) When are we going to wake up and realize that God's not just using anybody? He wants to use you. He wants to use me. So here I am. Here I am, God. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm available. And this isn't this reluctant man. Well, shoot. Now I got to serve Jesus. No, it's, it's when you say yes to Jesus, it's this privilege to get to serve him. When I fully understand everything that Jesus went through for me, I have no problem giving my life to it. When I realize that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life for me, when, when, when I realize that the, the, the beatings and the persecution that Jesus went through was, was not what he deserved at all because it was what I deserved, when I realized that when Jesus stood on trial and he was found guilty even though he was innocent and and that was my trial that Jesus stood on. When I realized that, that as Jesus carries this heavy cross that, that he didn't deserve at all up a hill and, and, and he's chew- that's my cross to carry. When I realized that as he was laid on the cross and nailed into it, every single nail that goes through every millimeter of skin was the nail that I deserve to be nailed on the cross with. When I realized that every breath Jesus is breathing as he dies, is the death that I deserve when I realize that he then dies for me and is rose again on the third day so that I could have new life in him when I realize that he went through all of that for my sake I got no problem giving my life to him 
I've got no problem giving every resource, every ability, every gift I have to advance his cause. So how do we get to the place where we fully surrender? The good news is we can fully surrender because Jesus modeled it for us. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed this, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If you want to know what total surrender looks like to God, it's that. Hey, God, if, there, if there's any way that I don't have to do this, I would love to not have to do this. But nevertheless, hey, hey, God, take that off the table. I don't want to spend the rest of my life working for my will. I want yours to be done in my life. Because what I believe is that the will of God is what's best for me. And I know right now this is not a comfortable situation. I know that what I'm experiencing is difficult and frustrating. But what I do know is that I would rather be in the middle of God's will for my life than in the middle of my will without God. So God, whatever your will is, I want it. Whatever your will is, I'll do it. I believe that tomorrow's convenience rests in today's surrender. That you and I need to consistently come before God. And most of us ought to be praying this prayer, send me, I'll go. If you understood, look, I gave my life to Jesus on August 1st of 2011. And that was the day that I surrendered my life to Christ. But every day since then, I have been waking up and surrendering my life to Jesus. Has it been easy? No. I come to you all the time. I'm like, hey, if anybody lied to you and they told you that following Jesus was easy, well, I'm sorry, but they lied to you because it ain't easy. But what I've seen God do in my life over the last nine years has been nothing short of a miracle. What I've seen God do in my life in the last nine years has given me more fulfillment and peace than I've ever had in my life. And if you only knew what peace rested on the other side of your surrender, I think you'd do it much faster. If you only knew what it was like to experience being used by God in a powerful way, then you would simply say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll go. Last thing I got for you today is this. Total surrender will cause death in some areas of your life or cause death in some areas to give life in others. If we look at the life of Jesus, when Jesus fully surrendered to the plan of God, there was something that had to die. And it was him. He had to die. But the death of Jesus from him being him surrendering, what scripture says is that he was obedient even to the point of death. That total surrender gave you and I the capacity to have new life. And what I've learned in my life is that every time I choose to surrender, every time I come before God and I say, God, I'm here. 
I'm, I'm realizing that you are working even though I can't see it. I know I've got some sin in my life that I need to, to assess and address. And so, so I'm giving that over to you. I'm receiving your grace, God. But I'm here. Send me. You use imperfect people for your perfect mission all the time. So, Lord, I'm available. Whatever you have is yours. Like, I, I'm here, God. If you'll do that, what happens is there's some things in our lives that have to die. But in order, once those things die, God brings new life in other areas. There's probably some patterns of behavior that need to die in your life. And as those die, God will bring new life in other areas. There might be some friendships that you need to let go of that need to die. But as you do that, God will bring new ones in that you never thought were possible. What needs to die in your life? as you surrender everything to God today so that he can bring new life in other areas. Let me pray for you really quick. Hey God, we love you so much. And we pray right now that as we surrender everything to you, you would be with us, that you'd give us grace and mercy that we never thought were possible. Lord, tug on our hearts those areas where we'd have things that don't glorify and honor you. Lord, if there's anything we need to let go of right now, we pray you'd release it to us, that you'd let us know, and that today would be the day where we totally surrender everything to you so that we can say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll go. And for those of you watching this right now that don't have a relationship with Jesus, throughout this entire message, we've talked about God's plan for your life. That yes, you have sinned, but God has been working and he's been pursuing you for the purpose of relationship. And he made a way that you didn't have to pay for your sin yourself, but that through accepting Jesus' payment on the cross for you, you could have freedom and new life. Your sin would be paid for, and then you get to say, here I am, Lord, send me. It's the greatest prayer I ever prayed nine years ago. So if you'd like to make that decision today, would you just simply say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.